Open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and let me take a couple of minutes and deal with an issue that's occurred in the last day or two and remind all of you where we stand on the Word of God. I hope that you love the Bible that you have in your hands. It is your protection against all forms of heresy and uh, lies by false prophets, if you will, but learn it and then remember it. If you forget it, it's no longer your defense. If you don't know it, you can't use it. But we need to learn the Word of God and retain what we learn. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses written by the God of heaven, your Father, if you're one of His children, to save you from false prophets. The last three verses of Deuteronomy 18, beginning at verse 20. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. And if we had a state church, Harold Camping would be put to death this morning without mercy. He's a lying false prophet. And you should be provoked in your spirit, and if you're not provoked in your spirit, you're not really a Christian. Because Elijah, John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, would be very provoked in their spirits to have had to endure such a liar taking his lies publicly and disgracing the name of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Bible before the whole world. Humanists and atheists got together last night and had their parties as they mocked Bible preachers because of a man like him who never was a Bible preacher. He was thrown out of the Christian Reformed Church in 1988 because of his heresies. You know, the man needs to be on oxygen under the care of hospice, not preaching the gospel or trying to preach it. He has imbibed so many errors in the last 20 years and added them to his repertoire of heresies that it's a disgrace. You should be stirred in your spirit about it. I'm very angry. I don't want to do anything in my flesh, but I don't want to come one inch short of Elijah. When Elijah stood on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, he didn't say, but for the grace of God, there go I. That isn't a godly attitude. Elijah never thought that. When God has revealed truth to us because we're his children, he has made a difference, and we are to use that difference to proclaim His Word and His truth against all error. We understand that it is foundational truth that if it wasn't for the grace of God and His electing grace and predestinating purpose, we would not know Him or His truth. That's a given. But we don't allow that to so modify our perspective of error and lies that we apologize or feel sorry for liars. Throughout the Bible... The Bible says that the idols of the heathen and their gods have eyes but they see not, ears but they hear not, mouths but they speak not, feet but they move not, they must be carried about. And everyone that maketh them and everyone that worshipeth them is like unto them. 
They're all stupid stumps. This is what the Bible says throughout. If it were not for the grace of God, we'd be bowing before those same images of wood or stone, but we are not bowing before them. And the Lord has given us a mouth and a Bible, and He expects us to preach it boldly and to lift up the gospel trumpet and to declare His word. This is His word. Harold Camping is a liar. No one should fear him. And he would be put to death if we had a godly nation. Now, even in an ungodly nation like our own, those who promote scams and steal from people with by fraudulent means are put in prison. Harold Camping should be locked up for all the money that he has stolen from men by his lies. If he had one ounce of integrity, which I doubt if anybody could find with a microscope, he will be on the radio today, his radio, his blessed precious radio, his radio church. Because remember, for 23 years he has said not a single person can or has been saved in any church in the world since 1988. The only way you can be saved is outside a church by his radio ministry. Well, he should be on that radio ministry declaring to everyone that he is a lying false prophet and that he is going to sell all of his radio stations and return the money to all the people that paid for them. You say, well, what if a false prophet performs a miracle like Benny Hinn? Now, you can't prove that Benny Hinn has ever performed a miracle in his life. But go to Deuteronomy chapter 13 and let's see if the Bible wants to save you in this particular case. Let's say that a false prophet comes along and tells you something and he performs a miracle. I mean, he comes into your yard and calls fire down from heaven and burns up your garden. Is that going to add to his credibility? Or are you going to take him to the judge of last resort? The final authority that we have in all matters of faith and practice, and that's our Bibles. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13. God has already answered this for you because God your Father wants to protect you from liars, including me. Deuteronomy 13.1 If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass. Now, when I just read Deuteronomy 18, it says the sign of the wonder, the prophecy, did not come to pass. Now, if a man fails even one time in a prophecy, that proves he's a liar. That's why we don't prophesy. We don't hang ourselves out to dry by telling you something that's going to happen in the future when the Bible hasn't told us that or given us a specific date for it. But now this case is where it comes to pass. Now this is a little scarier. The sign of the wonder comes to pass. Whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Notice, now it's false doctrine, but a sign or a wonder that comes to pass. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you. He's testing you. To know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And ye shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Now say, what do all those words mean? All those words mean, if a prophet were to come along and have a sign or a wonder come to pass, 
You should not let that miracle alter your view of Him. You should bring Him to the trial of God's Word. And if He is trying to mislead you by teaching you anything contrary or different than God's Word, it's a false miracle. The devils can perform false miracles. Did you ever forget the magicians in Pharaoh's court that matched Moses for a while? And then about the third or the fourth miracle, the magicians came and pulled Pharaoh aside and said, can we have a council here? That's the finger of God. We can't do it. And Pharaoh should have dropped to his knees and humbled himself and repented and saved his nation, his life, and his firstborn and all of his assets, but he didn't. Here are two verses of Scripture that God's given to protect you. Brethren, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, it says the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. God the Holy Spirit compared the character of the citizens of Thessalonica to the citizens of Berea. The Bereans were more noble for two reasons. They received the word of God with all readiness of mind. That's what they did first. When the Apostle Paul preached there, they just took it in, they loved it, and they rejoiced at what they heard. They received the word of God with all readiness of mind. They were ready to receive it. They weren't ready to criticize it. They weren't ready to add to it. They weren't ready to take away from it. They weren't ready to offer their opinions. They received it with a ready mind. But then they went home and searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were truly so. And that is what you're supposed to do. And that is what all the followers of Harold Camping should have done. When Harold Camping came out and said that the earth that uh, the creation took place in 11,000 and plus years B.C., and the flood took place in the year 4,990 B.C., which makes over 6,000 years between Adam and Noah. All you have to do is go to your Bible in Genesis chapter 5 and add up the years. Now, can all of you, can everybody add? Do we have calculators now? You don't need a calculator because there's no calculating to be done. All you have to do is add. You need an adding machine. You can go back to your mother's or grandmother's and pull up one of those great big adding machines. But if you go to Genesis chapter 5, it says in verse 3, Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And in verse 6 it says, And Seth lived in 105 years and begat Enos. And all you have to do is add those numbers up and find out that between Adam and Noah is only 1,600 years, not 6,000. All they had to do was search the Scriptures. The man's a nutcase. The man's got a whole bunch of wires in the wrong wire nuts. All you had to do was take your Bible and go back to Genesis 5 and realize he doesn't have a clue about Bible chronology. He took the life of Adam, 930 years, and laid it end to end with the life of Seth and ignored what the Bible said. God's Word could not be any plainer about the chronology of time between Adam and Noah. So you were saved. All you had to do was search the Scriptures. Receive it with a ready mind, then go home and search it out. When he says 11,000, you know you've never heard that before. There's not a man on earth or an angel in heaven, or under the earth, the devil doesn't believe that a second. The devil's a liar. He would lie to Harold Camping, but the devil knows that the flood was only 1,600 years after the creation. He didn't get confused. He didn't lose his calendars or his daytimers. All you had to do was search the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 31 when he warned the elders of Ephesus, 
All the time that I was in Ephesus, I ceased not to warn you day and night with tears that men would arise with false doctrines and false teachings, and you were to be vigilantly opposed to all of them. And when we come over to Revelation chapter 2, we find out the Lord Jesus Christ commended that church because they tried those that were that said they were apostles and found them to be liars. So for a while, the church at Ephesus kept the word that Paul had warned them about. Now they had lost their first love and their ambition for the truth, and we want to have both. We want to have the truth of God, and we want to have the love for His Son, Jesus Christ. I would like to remind you of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 that I hope you read last evening where it says, We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. God chose us to it, and so we're bound to give Him thanks. But we are under no obligation to apologize for the truth or to be wishy-washy about the truth, or to say, I think, or I believe, or I might be so. No. God's Word is absolutely true. It's a hammer and it's a fire. And we break stuff in pieces and we burn it up. We burn up the chaff. This man has brought great disgrace upon the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. It lulls Christians to sleep because there are so many false prophets to giving false times for the coming of the Lord. But Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back in flaming fire with His mighty angels and vengeance on them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming. You know, that man uses Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 as his chapters about the Great Tribulation that he says was 23 years long from 1988 until yesterday. And he bases that on the fact that the number of sailors that were on Paul's ship from Caesarea to Rome was 276, which divided by four, then by three, equals 23. Uh huh. That is how he arrived at that. If you want to know how the Great Tribulation went from 88 to 2011, it's because 276 divided by four divided by three equals 23. The man was smoking the wrong tobacco while he was a civil engineer. I'm still being very kind and all the dupes that followed him, never checking their Bibles, cashing in their savings, buying vans, putting up billboards. Did you read about the retiree in New York City that spent his 140000 of savings to put up signs in the subway stations? You know, there were good atheists and good humanists that wrote family radio and offered to buy all their houses for a buck since they wouldn't have any need of them anymore. We are bound to give thanks always. Brethren, the Bible, the Lord gave us this book to save us from false prophets. I just showed you. Deuteronomy 18, if a prophecy doesn't come to pass, that man is not from God and he has presumed upon the name of God and he has spoken presumptuously. That's Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 13 tells us that if his miracle comes to pass, we measure him by his doctrine. So if a miracle comes to pass, you measure him by his doctrine, and Harold Camping's doctrine is just insanity. A child could figure him out. We have children here that could sit down with an adding machine and figure up from Genesis 5 the time between Adam and Noah. Did you know that Genesis 5 runs all the way to Noah? That you, it, you, you can limit yourself to one chapter and do a little bit of Bible study and figure it out. 2 Timothy chapter 3 that warns us about the perilous times of the last days tells us, Evil seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
That's a warning. We shouldn't be surprised. And he gets a following because he's telling a lie. Jesus said, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. John 8, 45. The truth never has a large following. In Noah's day, there were only eight in the ark. The rest drowned outside the ark. In Jesus' day, there were only a few that followed him. The truth is always small. It's lies that captivate men's imaginations because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. May the Lord preserve us from all such men. May he vindicate himself by the judgment that he brings on family radio, Harold Camping, his family, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and everyone that followed him. May God vindicate himself in the world. And he will one day soon. Second Peter chapter 3, scoffers, because they hear about events like Harold Camping, scoffers say, the world has continued from the fathers and there hasn't been any change. And do you know what the Apostle Peter said about them, that fisherman who had never been to school? Do you know what he said? This they are willingly ignorant of, that the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. There has been one worldwide deluge of water that drowned everything that had the breath of life in it, animal and human, and left only eight alive in the ark. And Jesus Christ is coming the second time, and he's coming soon. He will not be bringing water. He'll be bringing fire. He won't be bringing rolling earthquakes that you can sit in the comfort of your home and watch on television like Harold Camping said he was going to do yesterday. He is going to come with one mighty display, and he doesn't care about time zones. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't operate by time zones. You're thinking too small. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I love the Lord Jehovah, His Father, and I love the Word of God that He's given us, and we are not going to apologize for it. And we're not going to feel sorry for men like Harold Camping. They lead so many people astray and make merchandise of them. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your precious Word. Oh, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. I just gave you two precepts, Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 13. And those two precepts would save you from every false way. Learn them. Understand them. Deuteronomy 18, if a prophecy doesn't come to pass, the man's a liar. Don't listen to him. Don't fear him. Deuteronomy 13, if his miracle comes to pass, but he's teaching false doctrine to take you out of the way that I commanded you with my commandments and my precepts, kill him. Now, we can't do that. We won't do that because we don't have a church-state combination like Israel did under the Old Covenant. Let us pray. Our Holy Father in heaven, the Lord Jehovah, Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, there be many gods in the earth, but there is only one God, our Father, and we thank Thee for Thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name, Holy Father, we humble ourselves before Thee and thank Thee and bless Thee, and we are bound to do so that You chose us from the beginning to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Thank You for the ministry and work and power of Thy Holy Spirit that opens our hearts and opens our minds, opens our ears and eyes to see, to hear, to understand that we might know the truth that is given to us by Thee. We thank Thee for the gospel and the beautiful feet that have preached it to us. We thank Thee for the inspiration and preservation of Your precious Word in the King James Bible. And we pray, O Lord, that we will be faithful to it and that we will read it and retain it 
that we will remember its commandments and its precepts, its warnings, and its efforts to save us from such men. Heavenly Father, we pray for your judgment upon Harold Camping, upon all of his followers, upon all of his family, upon the entire family radio ministry for their blasphemous presumption in your name and the misuse of your word and the ignorance and the shame and the disgrace they have brought upon your name. Holy Father, we read in the pages of Scripture that we must conduct ourselves in such a way that we do not give the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme. And they have been given such an opportunity this past weekend. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the truth that You have shown us and we pray that You will give us the opportunities to proclaim it, to defend it, and to live by it. Let our lives be the loudest of our presentation of the truth to the world. And let our voices follow behind consistently with the wholesome words of sound doctrine and sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of a contrary part might be condemned. Heavenly Father, help us to shut the mouths of gainsayers and to refute the Jewish fables that populate the earth and so many pulpits. O Lord, we thank Thee and praise Thee and bless Thee for the truth of Thy Word. And we know that this earth once stood out of the water, but then You covered it with water, cubits above the highest mountains, and drowned every living thing. And we know that You are sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, to come for us soon, and You will burn up this place with fervent heat, and everything shall melt, every element will melt, and You'll create a new heaven and a new earth. And we look forward to that. Heavenly Father, we believe it. We understand it. We see the prophetic timetable, and we understand that there is little time left before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those great intervening prophecies that You told us that had to occur first before the Lord could return in Second Thessalonians 2 have been fulfilled. And we wait upon Thee. And we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, bless Your true, honest, sincere ministers this day in every pulpit. Whether they see the whole truth or not, Lord, what they do see, let them proclaim boldly and without compromise and open their eyes by Your Spirit and by Your Word to see the things that they need to see. And Heavenly Father, what we do not see yet, show to us and direct us into the way of righteousness and truth and wisdom and let us not wander out of it into the congregation of the dead. Let us not be confused or confounded, world without end. Let us stand upon Thy Word alone, rightly dividing it, and it having free course in our lives, out of this pulpit and in our private conversations. Heavenly Father, preserve our nation and keep it. Be with all Your churches and saints throughout the world. Bless our assemblies this day. Be with our brothers and sisters not with us. Guide us and direct our every thought. Let us do nothing in the flesh, but let us do everything in the Spirit, and let us do it mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Because I don't want you to forget the martyrs, I would like to take a couple minutes here in our time of announcements just to read a couple to you from Fox's Book of Martyrs. There's a couple copies of Fox's Book of Martyrs up here, and I will replace those two as they disappear. If you do not have one in your home and you would read it, take one. You don't have to ask for permission. Just take one, take it home, and read it. 
The Fox's Book of Murders that is there is a very small abridgment of the total work. The total work is in our little church library, listing the martyrs that gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the biggest sacrifice you have to give for the cause of Jesus Christ? It's it's not even close when we measure it by resisting unto blood, as Hebrews 12 reminds us. I wouldn't mind taking up to three minutes or so in every assembly, although we may not do that, just to have a little martyr's memorial to remember the great cloud of witnesses around us. Let me mention a few to you. I am reading from Fox's Book of Martyrs near the front of it, where he's dealing with the 10th Roman persecution under Diocletian. This is A.D. 303. There were 10 pagan Roman persecutions against the saints in the first 300 years of Christianity, and then those pagan persecutions turned to papal persecutions as the Holy Roman Empire and the Roman Catholic Church became the enemy of real Christians. A.D. 303, the emperor is Diocletian. Just a few short paragraphs. Maximus, governor of Cilicia, being at Tarsus, three Christians were brought before him. Their names were Tericus, an aged man, Probus, and Andronicus. After repeated tortures and exhortations to recant, they at length were ordered for execution. Being brought to the amphitheater, the Bilo Center, several beasts were let loose upon them, but none of the animals, though hungry, would touch them. Praise God. The keeper then brought out a large bear that had that very day destroyed three men. But this voracious creature and a fierce lioness, both, refused to touch the prisoners. Finding the design of destroying them by the means of wild beasts ineffectual, Maximus ordered them to be slain with a sword on October 11th, A.D. 303. Tericus, Probus, and Andronicus. Romanus, a native of Palestine, was deacon of the church of Caesarea at the time of the commencement of Diocletian's persecution. Being condemned for his faith at Antioch, he was scourged. Put to the rack, his body torn with hooks, his flesh cut with knives, his face scarified, his teeth beaten from their sockets, and his hair plucked up by the roots. Soon after, he was ordered to be strangled. November 17th, A.D. 303. Romanus was his name. Susanna, the niece of Caius, bishop of Rome, was pressed by the emperor Diocletian to marry a noble pagan who was nearly related to him. Refusing the honor intended her, she was beheaded by the emperor's order. Susanna was her name. Dorotheus, this is a man, the high chamberlain of the household to Diocletian, was a Christian and took great pains to make converts. In his religious labors, 
He was joined by Gorgonius, another Christian and one belonging to the palace. They were first tortured and then strangled. Peter, a eunuch belonging to the emperor, was a Christian of singular modesty and humility. He was laid on a gridiron and broiled over a slow fire until he expired. His name was Peter. And Dorotheus and Susanna and Romanus and Tericus and Probus and Andronicus under the reign of Diocletian in the 10th of the pagan Roman persecutions against Christians. Entire cities were put to the fire when they were known to be Christian cities. A town in Phrygia, one of the provinces of the Roman Empire, surrounded the entire city, burnt to the ground with every inhabitant. The numbers are staggering. The tortures, horrible. May we remember that we have a great cloud of witnesses and let us run our race with patience, laying aside every weight that slows us down and the sins which easily beset us.